Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan, but before we do, guys, you know, I'm always trying to uh, give our listeners opportunities to get to know more about us, and so I found a question that I thought would be interesting for us to answer. Here it is, okay? If your childhood had a smell, what would it be? Like if a smell would represent your childhood best, what would that be? Are you asking if we were the smelly kids in class? <laughs> Maybe I had really bad BO or something. In my ears, I've had a... <laughs> Sorry, I'm thinking about a scene in a movie where she says, in my years of teaching, I've had a lot of smelly kids, but your kid is by far the smelliest. <laughs> Gosh. Oh, man. Okay. I'm going to answer this question the way I think my siblings would want me to answer this question. I'm the youngest of five kids. My answer is urine. Oh, oh wow. I, listeners, I was coming. not and expecting this, friends. And and We're am, piddling around again. I am purely answering this question based on what I think my siblings would want me to say if they were listening to this. Uh, when I was really little, I don't even remember. I mean, we're talking preschool, kindergarten. I would pee in the corner of my bedroom because I didn't want to walk all the way to the bathroom. <laughs> and so I would get in trouble for that. And I'm sure my room smelled terrible. So oh. I don't remember smelling it. It is not a smell that brings back fond childhood <laughs> memories. Mm. But I'm answering on behalf of my siblings. Mm. That's unfortunate. Okay. I, uh, <laughs> so uh, I had 11 sisters. And I was the only boy, which means that my childhood smelled like, like beauty products, basically, or like, oh. like women's shampoo or hairspray. Like there were, you know, four bathrooms full of women, you know, spraying all sorts of things and herbal essences and, you know, lotions and all sorts of things that it smelled like that. Mm. Yeah, I had, I have three sisters. And you know what smell I really like now that you say that? I don't even know if it's still a product. Salon Selectives was like this whole oh. brand yeah, of, yeah, yeah. of shampoos yeah, yeah. and stuff. Yep. And mm-hmm. it was like Aussie moist and all. I remember because <laughs> I'm like seeing my bathroom right now. And I always thought that smelled great. Yeah. So can I change my answer from urine to Salon Selectives? I think you can. Gosh, okay. You definitely yeah. can. No, we can yeah. salvage that. What about yeah. you? For me, mine would be uh, food. Like my, my parents were constantly cooking in the kitchen. My grandma would cook a lot. Uh, Italian food, um, really thin Italian uh, New York style pizza. Um, so uh, I loved pizza. I loved Italian food. If we had the food. pizza debate here, you two would gang up on me, wouldn't you? Are you are you, Nikki? Are you on the thin, like New York style? Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. so never mind. Yeah, <laughs> Eric too. Right? So I just, I just, I just yeah. looked across the yeah, table. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, yeah. yeah. Now Eric, Eric's um, totally a big on New York slice. You snap the crust in the middle. Yep. You fold it. Fold you it. dip out the grease, and then you get after it. Oh, that's problematic. Um, so that was mine. And two, like I was a big, like growing up, I loved Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and so pizza was a thing. There you go. With the turtles, and so at home when I get home from school every day, that movie would go on, and if I had, if I could get a pizza, that's what I wanted. So to me, that's what it is, food. All right. That was completely unrelated to what we're talking about. Um, Clayton, tell us what we're looking at today. All right. We are still in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 today. Let me give you some context. That's the first C in the comma method. Uh, the context here is Paul's writing a letter to 
uh, a church that has a whole bunch of uh, problems. And some of it are ones that they are aware of, some they are not aware of, and Paul's trying to address them. In this case, he is addressing the question of spiritual gifts. So if you uh, flip back to chapter 12, he kind of starts the next three chapters by saying, now concerning spiritual gifts, and he goes on to kind of explain this. And in chapter 12, he kind of gives an overview. He says, you know, God's given gifts to everybody by his spirit. And everybody's got a different one. They're not all the same, but we all need each other. That's kind of chapter 12. Chapter 13 is one that you have heard, but maybe not in this context. It is the love chapter. It's the one that they read at weddings. You know, love is patient, love is kind, all that stuff. The reason he's putting it there is because he is addressing uh, division and tension that has come up with the way people are using their spiritual gifts in ways of saying this one's better than that, or I'm going to do it this way, or you know I, I have the right to do this or that. And so he's trying to say, no, let me emphasize the important thing is not what gift you have, it's whether or not you use it with love. Uh, and then in this chapter we're about to read, he comes back specifically to talk about a few of the spiritual gifts that were most controversial in that congregation. And he's specifically talking about ones that show up in a worship service. So to imagine a first century worship service, you have to put yourself in a home. They didn't have church buildings, so they would meet in one of the larger homes within their community, and they would have a church service uh, you know, in someone's uh, living room, dining room uh, kind of area. So uh, that's what we're talking about here. I'm going to have Eric read uh, a portion of this chapter. It's a long one. So we're going to do kind of the first paragraph and then skip to some verses later at the end. Okay. So we're verses one through five, and then we're going to skip all the way to verses 26 through 40. So here we go. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. And now skipping to verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most three, should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy 
and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. All right. Well, there is a lot here. So let's start making some observations. Uh, The O in comma stands for observation. And remember, when you're making observations, it doesn't mean you totally understand what it means. It just means you're paying close attention to what's there. So let's identify some things in this passage. I'm just going to remain silent for the rest of the episode. (laughs) No, I'm joking. (laughs) It's going to get awkward in here. No, I'm joking. Um, The first thing, just right off the bat, connecting to what you said about the context, is I love how right up at the top, he says, like reminding us again, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. Um, And just thinking about like the gifts of the spirit were important. Like every, it's kind of like that idea that like um, every member of the church is like a body part, right? And we all play a part and we all help build each other up and one can't exist without the other. Um, We all are supposed to have gifts that build each other up. And so out of love, seek those gifts. Um, He goes into talking about how prophecy is is good, but I, I love how he just continues to connect it all. Follow the way of love. He talks a lot about prophecy and speaking in tongues. And so I, it's probably worth just quick definitions I here think so. yes, because yes. I, I, I think, think so. I think people are like what the heck are we talking about here? Yeah. Okay, prophecy. If we just really simplify it, it would be if God says something to you that He wants you to tell to someone else, which happens all the time among among Christians. You might be praying and God says, "Hey, here's what I want you to pick up the phone and call so and so and encourage them." Okay, that's a word of prophecy. You're doing that in your language, the language that pe- the other person understands. Tongues is also spirit-directed and spirit-given, but it's in a language that you have never learned and the other person wouldn't understand. So often tongues is about your personal worship, your own prayer life, often, right? So these are the two, these are two ways that there is spirit-empowered, spirit-directed communication among, among believers, okay? So this is what we're talking about. So let me just ask you this question. Have either one of you ever received or given a word of prophecy to someone? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do either one of you speak in tongues? No. No, neither of us do. Okay, so all three of us have given and received words of prophecy. I have the gift of speaking in tongues. And so what Paul is saying is here, yes to all of this. This is all wonderful. And God does these things to edify the church, to build up the church. But there's a way that it should be handled in a way that's loving and and encourages and edifies Everyone. So there, I just thought it was worth a little bit of, of definition. Yeah, I think one of the the, uh, the things that people get confused on the prophecy thing is that it's got to be like predicting the future or something yeah, like that. Right. They kind of expect that, that sort of thing. But it's any it's any message that is from God that you would communicate. Yeah, the, mo- the most helpful way to think about it is the Old Testament prophets who were speaking on behalf of God to people in a particular context. They yeah. weren't... Now, every once in a while, there was a little fu- a little bit of future telling, but most of the time, the Old Testament prophets were... Speaking on behalf of God to people. Yeah. And the the difference, though, between the Old and the New Testament stuff is the Old Testament prophets, we obviously had it written down, and it ends up becoming scripture, mm-hmm. whereas these ones are not things where it's like, you know, if Eric says, hey, I think, I think God wants me to tell you this, we don't write that down and say, and now it's, you know, true scripture we can all hang on to. So this is a, a little bit different from that in yeah. that respect. That's right. Uh, an observation I have in here, uh, just uh, reiterating uh, some of what you said, uh, there's uh, all these different things that say um, encourage, uh, bringing strengthening and encouraging and comfort or building up the church or edifying the church. There is uh, a very outward focus, this is for the sake of other people uh, kind of mindset going on here. Another one of my observations is in the section where he's talking about speaking in tongues. 
and he he seems to be painting a picture of disorder. Like he's mm-hmm. like one person talk at a time. Don't be talking over each other. And so he's starting. It's very practical. And even where he says, and if someone speaks in tongues when you're gathered with other believers, one, maybe two. All right, three at the most. Okay, so there seems to be a bit of. Uh, it, it's hard to imagine this in your head and, and say exactly what's going on, but people are so in love with just exercising their freedom and exercising their gifts that they're not even really thinking about if it's helpful or not. Yeah, it's interesting that he doesn't say, he doesn't try to say, hey, that's not from God. He tries to say, no, you have self-control, which is also mm-hmm. from God. You know, that, that that these are good things. Like he's, he's really, really clear. He says, um, eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy. And he says, I wish that all of you spoke in tongues. Like he's saying, I'm really enthusiastic. He's already said, I know that not everybody has these gifts, but they're wonderful. If everybody could have them, they would be good for people. Um, But he also says, just because you have it doesn't mean you're completely out of control. It's not, uh, it's not something that overcomes you in a way that you no longer can, um, you know, have self-control, which is again, another gift from the spirit is is self-control. Yeah. I love that part where he says, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Uh, I think sometimes, um, speaking of like speaking in tongues or um, e- even even in some Pentecostal type of environments, Eric, you and I were raised in those in those kinds of, kinds of settings. Sometimes when I was a kid, um, there was not a lot of order. Uh, it was very chaotic. There were people shouting and you know it, it just it was screaming, dancing. Yeah. And, Rattling off words and tongues, yeah, yeah. There w- and and sometimes people would interpret, and sometimes they wouldn't. And for me, it was it was always like this. Um, it was a very uh, like a sensational type of thing, you know, like people getting caught up in the moment and just kind of wanted to have a part in something. Um, and as a kid, that was kind of like, what am I supposed to do with this? You know, it wasn't very edifying for me at all. Um, I I kind of didn't feel like I had a place in it because I didn't understand all of it. It was scary. Um, and so when I came here to Christ Community, I came to other uh, settings, and I actually got a chance to hear uh, the Word of God taught in such a way where it did strengthen and encourage me. Um, I thought to myself, oh, so this is what it means to actually like belong to a, a church body that actually teaches you how to like understand and enjoy and apply God's word, not to like steal our tagline, <laughs> not to be cheesy, but but honestly, guys, like that, like growing up as a kid, like this didn't make sense to me. And as I'm older, like I understand the context of it, but I think there are a lot of churches back in the day when I was growing up, they didn't know how to do it well. They didn't do it well. They didn't do it according to how God would have wanted it then. Yeah, and if I if I make the opposite critique, because I imagine that there are people who are listening to this podcast that have some Pentecostal charismatic backgrounds. They're saying, yeah, I've seen some weird stuff and I wish my pastors would have insisted on some order and some decorum, which why Paul says an observation, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. He's saying like, oh, he's he's addressing the person that say, I had no control over it. The Holy Spirit made me do it. It's like, stop blaming your weirdness on the Holy Spirit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But the reverse or the opposite critique would be like at Christ community, you say, well, why aren't people speaking in tongues ever in our weekend services? Mm -hmm. Or why aren't people giving words of prophecy? And this is where we have to go back to Clayton's cultural context. When you imagine the church in Corinth, 
Don't imagine a mega church auditorium with 2,000 seats in it. Right, yeah. Imagine a house where there's 40 or 50 people that all know each other. That's a completely different context. And so you don't want to ever throw out the baby with the Mm bathwater. Paul says, pursue the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts. But that doesn't mean that tongues or words of prophecy should always be happening in this large gatherings. So the way I explain this to people is, one, in a relational context, like a community group, you're on a retreat with 40, 40 or 50 people. If someone comes to you with a word of prophecy, or even if you've never experienced speaking in tongues before, but someone speaks in tongues in a smaller setting where there's, there, you, you know each other relationally, you say, okay, some, God's doing something here. If I'm in an auditorium with 2,000 people and some dude stands up in the balcony and starts saying whatever, first of all, everyone can't hear what they're saying. Second of all, you don't know who this person is. There's just, it's just rife with problems. So you never want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Paul says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts. And then the rest of, is for us to figure out. Yeah, there's that emphasis on kind of the order in, in terms of procedure. You know what I mean? Like there's a, there's a certain like way of going about it that that preserves order. There's also um, some checks in terms of what do you do once you've heard prophecy or that sort of thing. So verse 29 says two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And there's an implication there. And if you look at other places in scripture, it's clear that the the leaders of the church are meant to be somewhat of a check to say, all right, th- someone can say something and say, this comes from God. But to really know, you've got to back it up. You've got to be able to uh, put it in, in uh, comparison with what we do know from Scripture. Uh, the thing that we can be confident in is what the Bible says. If this fits within that, then you might be able to receive it and say, yeah, this is actually from God. This is something uh, timely and good for us right now. But there may be times when someone says something, maybe even in the passion of uh, worship or feeling the presence of God, they still may come out with something that it turns out, you know what, that actually wasn't uh, something that would be in, in line with Scripture. And we've got to have some discernment to say, okay, we just we don't have to throw out prophecy as a whole, uh, but we do want to sift through the particular prophecies that we hear. Well, and even like going back to what you said too about like being in a small setting where everybody knew each other, verse 20, 28 says, if there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Well, obviously, if you're in a 2,000 person auditorium, you're not going to know everybody to know whether or not there is an interpreter. But if you're in a small house church, hey, somebody, the person who normally interprets me isn't here today. Maybe he's sick. He didn't come. You get what I'm saying? Yes. Or, or it could be a more random, like if I'm, in, if I'm in a Christian gathering and I give a word in tongues, I don't know. If I do that, I better really believe that God wants me to deliver a message to these people. And if God wants to deliver a message to these people through me, there's going to be an interpreter in the room. Hmm that's going to interpret that message and I may or may not know the person. Gotcha. But it's still weird in a 2,000 yeah, person right, auditorium. Right, right. Yeah. And when we've talked about this here at Christ Community, we we have always put it in that context of a smaller group, you know, the, a setting where, where it can be, where you can actually have the conversations about these things and be relational and that sort of thing. Uh, one of the um, the flip side in terms of the the parts that weird people out with this, there are some people who, like you guys, have been nurtured in you know, charismatic Pentecostal environments. There are folks like me who uh, grew up in churches where this didn't happen uh, or even were told it shouldn't happen. And uh, I, I remember early on when I started reading the Bible, realizing when I got to this chapter, the thing that stood out to me was not all the rules about when you can speak in tongues or not. It was the first and last verses. It says, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. And then at the end, it says, uh, 
therefore, this is the summative statement. My brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. I I think our church and maybe my personality was always like, fit, fitting and orderly sounds great. But the eagerly desiring those spiritual gifts, I was like, I, I don't know if I want to do that. I have actually had to make it a discipline to obey that command to say, I've been told this is something I should desire, so I, so I should seek and pray and say, God, this would be a good thing. Um, and so I think that's like another half of our audience is probably looking at that saying, this just weirds me out. Mm-hmm. Um, I would prefer not to have those gifts, you know? Okay, another observation. Here we go. I am rubbing my hands together. Oh, this is the one. I'm looking right at Nikki as right. I read this verse. Women should remain silent in the churches. And there is a period after that statement. Yep. It's my observation. What do we do? What, what do you say to that, Nikki? <laughs> I'm not supposed to say anything. Because um, I will point out that the podcast studio is in a church. <laughs> yes, it's true. It is. It's a weird dynamic, right, guys? Like, the, I know the context of this passage, but there are a lot of people who maybe who are new to reading the Bible who read it um, and they, you know, they hear me on the podcast, they see some of our other women who are on the platform and they go, is that, but the Bible says they're not supposed to do that. What do, what, what do I do? Um, and I do think it, it does, it, it creates a little turmoil in people, you know? And it doesn't just say women should not preach in the churches. Mm-hmm. Just speak in the just churches. Just speak in general, speak. Like yeah. silent. Yeah. And that sound means it's time for your comma tip of the week. The Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written directly to us. Paul was not thinking about the good old USA in 2023 when he was writing. He was writing in a particular context, a culture, a group of people. That's what the C in the comma method is for and why it's so important. Context, everything finds its meaning in context. So make sure that you read those book introductions in a good study Bible and take a look at those study notes. A lot of times there is helpful context information that helps you understand what you're reading and how to apply it in our current context. And this has been your comma tip of the week. All right. So let's talk about that context. That's really helpful. Um, let's, let's first get something really clear out of the way. Okay. Um, this verse cannot mean that no woman should ever vocalize in a church. And here's how I know that because we have been reading first Corinthians and just a few chapters earlier, there is a verse that talks about women uh, praying, prophesying, doing things where they are verbally speaking in a church gathering. So we know that this can't be universal blanket in all times and situations. No woman should ever use her voice in a church context. Um, So it must mean something else. The trick is trying to figure out in what situations, what context Paul is addressing this. And that's where some of the the wrestling and confusion has come from. But just as Eric said, the the cultural context really helps us figure that out. Um, Some of this has to do with the role of women in that society, not necessarily the role of women uh, among Jesus followers, but just what was expected, like where you might go and experience uh, men and women being together and what they would be doing and that sort of thing. So you can even see this in verse 35, the specific kind of like moment that he's yeah, kind of pointing at. He's saying, if they want to ask a question, like they're in a, they're in a church gathering, someone might be teaching and they want to you know, inquire about something, uh, they should go home, they should talk to their husbands about it because it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. So disgrace is a sh- social concept. You have to ask what questions, uh, what, what time uh, it would be disgraceful for someone to say something in that context. 
Yeah, so we're talking about reading in context here. That's what this conversation is. So Clayton just pointed out that earlier in Corinthians, we see women talking, prophesying, engaging in the gathering. So we're reading this verse in context to other things that Paul already wrote. If you pluck this verse out of its context and just read it as a sentence, not in context, women should remain silent in the churches. What part of that is hard to understand? If you just pull it out, right? That's what people will say. That's a very straightforward statement, but everything, everything, everything finds its meaning in context. So here's some here's some cultural context. So the and these are the kinds of things that you uh, would often see perhaps in an article in a study Bible or in study notes. This one is, goes a little bit further. You would have probably not in a study Bible, but here's some cultural context. There were rules for engagement in public teaching gatherings in this culture. So often there would be like a philosopher or a teacher in a in a public square. And if you went to that, there were rules of engagement. And here they are in a nutshell. Generally speaking, you show up, you sit there, and you silently listen. And that, just being there and silently listening, would be very honorable and dignified. What would not be honorable and dignified would be to raise your hand and ask a question that the lecturer doesn't think is worthy of his time or everyone else's time. You know, like we often say there's no such thing as a dumb question. That was not true in that culture. It was disgraceful to ask a question that they thought was wasting everyone's time. So to be, uh, to be there, to be honorable, to be dignified would be to sit there silently and listen and learn. The most honorable, dignified thing you could do was to actually ask a question that everyone thought was an impressive question, including the lecturer. But you better be darn sure before you speak up <laughs> that your question's a good one. Okay. So, now here's something we also know. Women and children were never allowed to be involved in these public gatherings. So here we have a Christian community where women and children are involved in the gathering. And you could read this, women should remain silent in the churches. What is Paul's coaching here? Here's how you are honorably and in a dignified way a part of a public gathering where learning is happening. So what looks like an anti-female verse out of context, when you put it in context with what other things Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians, and you put it in its cultural context, it is elevating women and saying women should be a part of the gathering. And now I'm going to coach you how all to be a Christian gospel community that makes sense in terms of your larger cultural context. Yeah, you, you can think of it like a, a few simpler, less controversial parallels, right? So if you had... Let's, let's say there was a, a, a school where, and we can do boys and girls in this situation, where it was all boys school, and all of a sudden, uh, people realized this wasn't fair. And so now we're going to let the girls in the community in, but they haven't been in school for the last couple of years. So they're going to have more questions about things that might derail kind of the main thing the class is going on. So for the teacher to say, you know what, when you guys have a question about something, l- let's have some time afterwards and we can clarify that so we don't get distracted. Or... Um, this happens all the time. Like we're in meetings all the time together. And sometimes uh, two people in the meeting will end up having a conversation that's just between the two of them and the other five people in the room don't need to be a part of it. It's really common to say, hey, why don't we, you know, wait until afterwards and we'll talk about this in our own meeting so we don't, you know, monopolize the time of all the other people. That's basically what Paul was doing. It's again, the order, you know, and um, not distracting people in worship. By having women say, hey, can you clarify this? And suddenly get on a rabbit trail where it, it wouldn't have been a distraction otherwise. 
Yeah, so you imagine in a culture where if the men were gathering for a, some kind of public learning session and the women were never there and they show up at a Christian gathering and the women are there, that's very disorienting. Wait, what's going on with these Christians? And if, if you're following the way of love, which is Paul's coaching, what Paul's saying is other people loving other people and the gospel, people coming to understand the gospel, how to be a gospel community in a, and Christians are countercultural. So if someone's coming to your gathering, prophecy is going to be something they're like, whoa, what's this? Tongues, holy cow. That's why Paul's saying like, yes to tongues and yes to prophecy, but more to prophecy because it's not going to weird people out as much. It's going to be more helpful. You can understand the words of prophecy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you're in that culture and you come to a Christian gathering, you're like, whoa, wait a minute, there's women here? Like that's disorienting. And so yes to women learning and being a part of the gathering, but maybe sub- subjugating their freedom to be fully involved with what's going on for the sake of the new person so that new person could come to understand the gospel. This is this is all about saying just because you can doesn't mean you should. This was our whole last podcast episode yeah. Yeah, where Paul's true. coaching was just because you can doesn't mean you should. Love says sometimes you don't exercise your freedom for the sake of someone else. All right, let's go on to the first M in comma, which today is message. What message do you get from this passage? My message uh, is right from chapter 14, verse one. Um, It's follow the way of love whenever I use my spiritual gifts. Uh, Mine's gonna come from sort of the end of the chapter here, well, and the beginning, uh, where it says, eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy. Um, so I think that that probably could be it, but be eager to prophesy is my, uh, my uh, message. You know what? Someone should write a book on how to eagerly desire the gifts without being weird. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, did you I, do that? Oh. I did that. It's oh, called the wow. spirit within <laughs> by chosen books. <laughs> you should pick it up at your local bookstore or on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Uh, my message is a reflective question. Would you rather have a human-powered, human-directed church or a spirit-powered, spirit-directed church? And as I, as I think about that question, it is yes to the gifts, yes to all of it. We are free in Christ. We are empowered by the spirit, but we should subjugate our freedoms for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of others. All right, we are gonna go on to the second M, which is meditation. And for that, we simply pray. Uh, we, in response to scripture, we contemplate scripture as we talk to God about it. And so the verse we're gonna give you is the one right there at the very end. Uh, give you 45 seconds to ponder this. It says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way.
All right, let's talk about the A and comma, which is application. What are we going to do in response to this? Okay, so based on my, uh, my message of following the way of, of love whenever I use my spiritual gifts, um, God gave me certain gifts to be uh, used to build up people and to serve people. And so um, how am I using my gifts uh, in the people that he has placed in my life and in my circle of influence? How, how am I using them to serve them? Um, that's what they're there for. They're not meant for me. They're meant for everybody else. My application, uh, I mentioned this before uh, when it comes to uh, being eager for spiritual gifts, uh, I I make it a discipline to regularly pray. I have on my prayer list that comes up. You know, I kind of have a, an app that kind of generates. You know, from you know, hundred things on my prayer list. Um, you know, a handful of things that I pray each time, and one of those things on there is praying about prophecy, and another one is praying about tongues. Uh, that that would be something we have in our church, and something that I experience in my life if God so chooses to give me that gift because of this verse to say eagerly desire. God's spirit to be at work in powerful ways, that's a good thing. And I I might not know kind of what the results of those are going to be, but I want to be obedient to the command as someone whose natural bent is to say, I don't know if I need that. You know what I mean? Like, I'm pretty cool with the ones I understand, but the ones that are stretching uh, or, uh, you know, a stranger to people, um, I don't want to go near that. Um, and so I sort of push back against my natural bent and say, no, I'm going to eagerly seek after those things. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take my application time to just point something out here. So it's not even really truly an application from this text. Although if I sat here for a moment and manipulated what I'm about to say, I probably could make it fit. All of the gifts are gifts, not just the ones that we think are more powerful or more spectacular, which is one of the points that Paul makes in first Corinthians is like, you guys need to stop putting these in categories of my gift is better than yours. Clayton is a gifted teacher. And that is a form of prophecy to, to teach and preach the word of God. And when preaching is happening, the spirit of God who wrote the Bible, if you're explaining the Bible that the spirit authored, you are engaged in a spirit directed, spirit empowered thing. So preaching and teaching and all of these things that we kind of just put in a normal category are actually very powerful things and God does powerful things with them. So mm-hmm. we're talking about prophecy and speaking in tongues today because it's the two things that Paul points out in this text, but there are a myriad of gifts and we should all eagerly desire to be empowered and and enabled by the spirit to serve one another in love. That's what gifts are for, so that the church of Christ might be built up and so that lost people might come to know the gospel and join our gospel community. Mic drop. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening this week. Join us again next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan. In the meantime, if you're not following along, go to BibleSavvy.com to download it and to start today. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week.